Now, you might be asking, Jason, and some of you already have, why are you dressed up? This isn't, this isn't your uh, normal attire. Some of you are like, well, now it's finally a Sunday best, Jason, now. Or some of you are like, oh, backwards hat. Like, okay, uh, I'm not fashion pastor like Ken Carlson. This is not my normal uh, attire. Uh, but I'll give you two reasons uh, why I am dressed up like this. Uh, because today, after church, uh, Bayville has decided that today is the day for the uh, father-daughter uh, Valentine's Day uh, dance. Yeah, I think it's run by communists. Uh, why would they do it at, th- at 1 o'clock or 12 o'clock on a Sunday? I digress, though. Uh, and so, like, Reagan uh, gave me uh, this today. She came into church and gave me a, a little chocolate and a card and whatnot. And so, like, here's a, here's a picture that I recently received of Reagan uh, in our kids' here. Uh, Reagan on a Monday night uh, having a, a date over pizza uh, and like, hey, a little hashtag like her future and whatnot. And uh, I take it as my responsibility uh, to ruin any possibility of a future guy. Uh, and I don't actually mean that, but what, what do I actually mean? I mean, I want to set the bar so high that a guy has to be an Olympic jumper uh, to be able uh, to win my daughter's hand and to love her so well in the name of Jesus uh, to do that. Uh, and so that is, that's number one. Number two, why I'm dressed up like this is because I told you it's at 12 o'clock. So I don't know if you guys know this on a Sunday morning, I'm typically a little busy. Uh, and so uh, I was like, how am I going to handle this? Like, I got to do it all. Uh, and so like, I'm here, I'm dressed up literally for the dance. I'm going to preach at 11 and then I'm hightailing it out of here with my daughter uh, to get to a dance where uh, I don't know if they still play Backstreet Boys, but they know, they know every word. And so we're going to dance, have fun. Oh, and then uh, BT dubs. Oh, and then we had this thing tonight at uh, uh, prayer uh, over in Lakers. And so we're going to go to a dance. Then we're going to rush to, like, it's going to be, I'm going to be going to bed probably in this outfit. Uh, And so it's a very busy day. Uh, And as I thought about that, it is, this is true of all of us, isn't it? Like, we could, I could make the excuse that I don't have time to go to my daughter's dance because I want to go and I want to rest for a second. I have two ministry things on, on the front end and the back end of the day. I could make that excuse and it would be a reasonable excuse, but I would fill that time with what? Something on the TV doing, and doing absolutely nothing. Like you and I each have the same 24 hours, but we all choose to fill it with different things. What we fill it with is a matter of our priorities. And so we're today talking about this concept of prayer. As we pray, or our prayer habits show how we use our times. What do we fill our time with? Is prayer one of those things? That's something that we have to consider today because we all have the same 24 hours and that impacts how we go about praying. It puts our priorities, mine and our church as a collective, it puts our priorities on display. Today, what I want us to see is what it means to be fervent in prayer. I want us to see how spiritually fervent communities are fervently praying communities. And so we're going to go to the book of James, James chapter 5. Uh, let's, uh, before we go there, let me pray. God, Lord, thank you for uh, getting my voice to this moment. Uh, Father, I pray for these next few moments, Lord, uh, Lord, that you would sustain uh, my voice as it's a uh, horse. Um, Father, I pray for, Lord, everybody that is here. Um, Lord, it never escapes me that we planned these out six months previous. Um, and Father, that you bring people here for this very reason that need to be here. Um, And so, Father, I pray that you would truly put me aside uh, and speak to these people uh, through your word. 
Um, we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So here, uh, the, uh, James is, is going to write to us, James, uh, what we believe is the half-brother of Jesus, and uh, he writes this, uh, this letter to, uh, to a group of people, you, kind of that next generation of Christians, and he gives them a whole bunch of reminders. Uh, this is a very convicting book. And so here he goes in chapter 5, and he says, if anyone is among, among you is, is suffering, let him do what? Pray. If anyone is cheerful, uh, let him uh, sing praise. So what Paul, I mean what Paul, that's just common, uh, what James is saying is that there's always a reason to pray. When you are suffering, that is uh, 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 trouble, that is uh, affliction, the appropriate response is to go to prayer. It's not, a, it's not a last resort. It's not like, hey, let me fix it, let me do something, and then go to prayer. Prayer should be the first solution to anything that we are dealing with. And so when our lives are unraveling, Honestly, that's kind of the easy portion, right? Like when life hits the fan, for many of us, it's easy to go to prayer. But it, it, what we have to keep in mind, it has to be that first solution. And here's what uh, James is going to, we're going to see now, and what we're going to continue to see is just because we go to prayer doesn't mean that God is some genie that's going to make everything go away. He doesn't promise anywhere in here that there's going to be instant relief. Because but what he is doing is he reminds, hey, when you're praying, here's, here's what you get to know while you pray to the God of the universe. Because God wants to teach us sometimes in suffering. It's in suffering that, that we get to know Christ in his suffering. It's in, it's in suffering that we get to be patient. We get to go to God because, because here's what happens when we suffer. We, we tend to call the goodness of God into question. We tend to call, call the goodness of humanity into question. And so we go to prayer, and, and through prayer, God reminds us that he has a plan. Then he says, okay, you're cheerful. What should you do? Praise. You know, that's kind of like the praying version of singing. Like you're singing songs to God. It's a conversation with God still, but it's just kind of like with your singing voice. Uh, and so it's still an element of prayer, and it's given equal space in the text. Suffering and cheerfulness are giving equal space. And what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go to a place of prayer. You're supposed to communicate with God. And so what it says right here in the very beginning is that there always is a reason to go to God in prayer. God, James wants us to remember that God desires and deserves our prayers, our praise in the in difficult times and in the pleasant times. Now, as that opening illustration, as we had a little bit of fun with that, can I tell you my main motivation? I'll give you two main motivations for me to love my daughter the way I love my daughter. One, it's to set an example for my boys on how to treat women. But then number two, and to me, I think it, I don't know if it's most important, but I can tell you it's the main motivation. It's because when my wife was growing up, this type of a relationship was not something that she had the privilege of experiencing as a youth. Uh, and so I know that as a way to love my daughter, I can love my wife, and she takes joy in seeing that happen for her daughter. And so as I preach this sermon, I preach with, the with recognizing that there are people in here that celebrate the highs and that they mourn the lows. There are people with a blissful marriage, and there are people without. There are people with and without, and that is true of all of us. And so what Paul is saying, and this is what we have to be able to do in the huddle. When you get into the huddle in the football team, you say, hey, great catch. 
You can celebrate with somebody or someone drops a pass and you're able to say, hey, that's okay. Get the next one. Both the highs and the lows have to be handled here in this huddle. If we are going to be a strong, unified huddle, we have, we have to be able to have joy and celebrate with those that have and mourn with those that don't because that is truly life. And this is the place where we can encourage, laugh, and cry with one another. So our, our life groups, if you guys come to this experience, you know the women's life group comes to this experience. There's a whole, there they go again. All right, you even mention women, and they're like, ah, okay. But I can tell you, although I've never been to the women's life group, although Bruin has, uh, I can tell you that that is a place of laughter and crying because both are a vital part of community and a vital part of us praying. James goes on to say, if anyone is among you who is sick, let him call to the elders of the church. Let, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the, power of the, of the, the, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And, he, and if he has committed sins, he will be, given, uh, be forgiven. So if we are sick, Paul, Paul references, or Paul, gosh, James references uh, three things for us to do. Call on spiritual leaders of the church. I can tell you that is one thing that we look at when we call upon elders. Are you a spiritually praying person? Because here's, here's the thing that you're, if, if you're not, well, one, you're probably not necessarily disqualified for being an elder, but I might even go to that length. Because the elders have to be people that know God and are willing to talk with God. And the elders also should not be people that don't understand what's going on among the church. And so if, if you are sick, why wait for months and months and months to inform the church leadership that can be praying over you and coming alongside you? We, they should be some of the first people to know. The second thing that we should do is when we come to the elders, the elders should be praying and the elders should be anointing people with oil, which might sound weird. No, we're not going to pray with you and pour uh, vinegar oil or something over, over your head. You know, what that is was that was a medicinal thing in that day and age there, that would soothe people. So James has no issue with modern medicine and a healing process. It doesn't mean pray and ignore uh, the common technology of the day. The hospital is a gift uh, because wise people have done wise things with, with the wisdom of God, uh, and we should take advantage of that. And so we pray and we go about what we need to do for the healing process. And then, and then what, what James is saying here is in the name of the Lord, it's, it's leaving the healing process ultimately in the hands of God. The prayers won't heal you. The medicine aren't, isn't what's going to heal you. It's how God uses those things to bring about healing. And so who do you go to, to ask for prayer? He talks about that, per, that person of faith. The, the source of healing is, is God. And you go and you, and you want to pray with people that understand that prayer is an expression of our dependency and our trust with Jesus Christ and that God is going to do something uh, through uh, this type of a thing. So let me brag on our elders for a second. We have an elders meeting this coming week. Every time, right before, the 24 hours right before the elders meeting, we take time, 24 hours, to pray and to fast. We check in on people. We have a group text message. We're always texting about things that our, our congregation needs and wants and whatnot, and we, and we pray. 
And then we break our fast with communion at the elders' uh, meeting, and then we eat a whole lot of food and a lot of calories before we go to bed. Uh, and so uh, but that, that is a habit of the elders that I think is a very good habit. But this past week, I woke up on Monday burdened that there is so much going on with our people. And so I texted the elders and I said, guys, I, man, I got to ask you to fast two weeks in a row. I think there's a lot going on that we need to fast this week for our people. And not a single one of them fought me on it. They all said, I'm in. And so you have a group of people that are, are fasting, and I would, I would love to encourage you to, to, to bring your knees before them and, and allow us uh, to pray. The person writing this, James, yes, if you guys have ever studied church history, you know what his nickname was? Old Camel Knees. Talk about a nickname that's not too great. That, that's a weird nickname. <laughs> But you know why they call them old camel knees? Church history says it's because he prayed so much. He was always on his knees praying, and he was an instrumental part of the church in Jerusalem. And so uh, do we have a, a uh, you know, we have, when it comes to healing, we have a traditional Baptist doctrine. That's how we uh, kind of see that gift of healing, if you've ever wondered about that. But do we believe in healing? Absolutely. Do we believe that God moves through prayer? Absolutely. Have we prayed with people for healing? Absolutely. I can tell you for very fact that there were two people here last week that on Saturday, elders and other leaders were praying that God would move in their lives. And guess what? It just so happens uh, they showed up. Because as a community, we need to be a praying community. And so there is a form on the screens here, uh, on the screen over there. Take a picture of it. Uh, if not, it's on our apps. It's on the uh, other places you can find it. But it's simply a form that you can fill out a prayer request. And then we get a group of people praying over, over that request. Uh, and so check that form out. And I want to encourage you to use it. Uh, James goes on. And he says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Uh, the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. So James makes very, very clear, sin can cause sickness. And he makes very, very clear that repentance and confession can bring about healing. Now, are those two statements absolutes? Absolutely not. It doesn't mean that if you are suffering that there is sin in your life. Job suffered actually for being righteous. And so what suffering will do is it gives us this litmus test and this opportunity to search ourselves and see if that might be the case. It's not always the case. And so elders come alongside, righteous people come alongside, friends come alongside, and we confess our sins to one another. We, we confess whatever needs to be confessed if there is something that needs to be confessed, and then we pray for healing. We confess to one another. We confess to the person that has, that has either wronged us or, or that we have wronged. Like, think about the church in our huddle, as we get together in our, in our community, if you will, if we crushed it with this, I've wronged you or you've wronged me, so let's pray together. How much more unified would we be? How much more would, would the body of Christ be so much stronger if we're confessing to one another, if we're being vulnerable with one another? It fights the arrogance that I am better than you. It promotes unity. 
And so if we're going to be committed to God's will, then we have to confess to one another uh, and to God. And also we have to invite others who care about the will of God, who care about God's heart, know God's heart, and is seeking after God's will. And what, uh, what James is saying is when we pray like that and with people like that, there is great power because you and I together go before God, trusting trusting uh, that God is going to do something in our midst. And so I asked my dad, because whenever you read something like this, you're like, man, like, I grew up in the, in the Catholic faith. And uh, I don't know, this is like, what? Like, because people come to me, you're like, hey, like, I've been asked about confession before and like, uh, uh, confessing sin to me as if I'm some priest. I'm like, dude, I got my own stuff. And uh, like, you and I, we the same here, like, you're a bumbling fool. Great, me too. Uh, okay. Uh, and so I like, called my dad because he grew up Catholic and went to Catholic school. Whenever I talk to anybody that went to Catholic school, all they talk about is the beatings. I don't really understand this. They talk about the beatings. And, uh, okay. and, uh, and so uh, my, my dad was like, I would have to recite French. And he was like, my hand was on the table and it was shaking. And I would get hit with the ruler if I made a mistake. And he's like, I didn't know when I made a mistake. And so it was just trembling. And he's like, the biggest thing was there was like a pocket of time. I forget what Grady said, but he would talk in class which was like a big no-no, and he would never get a warning. The, the nun would just come up, grab him literally by the ear, he said, and pull him into, uh, into the closet and make him confess sin uh, in the closet. And so he said that, that pocket of time, it actually encouraged him uh, to, uh, to do what he was doing because within the uh, closet was everybody's school's, uh, school lunches. Uh, and he's like, and that's when I developed a great love for hostess uh, cupcakes. Uh, and so he said he would, like, instead of confessing his sin, he would eat everybody's uh, cupcakes. Uh, true story, and he really does genuinely love uh, those cupcakes. So whenever my dad visits next time, brownie points if you can get him a hostess uh, cupcake. And, uh, but the confessional booth is, you know, obviously it's a real thing. Uh, and it was originated 700 years ago uh, so that people could, it, it was originated in a good way, to, so that you could have a space to confess your sin uh, in, in, in privacy and have a, a trusted manner. But if we're the body of Christ, that shouldn't be needed because we should be able to trust one another. We should be able to care for one another. We should be able to know who, who, we, who is my buddy that I can, I can go to. Now, here's what this means, that I'm confessing what? My sins. When he says your sins, that's, that's you and I. That is not, okay, hey, there are some sins that need to be confessed. Lord, we pray for Susie. Uh, she is sleeping around, and Lord, have mercy. Well, that's just gossip. That's not your sin to confess. That's her sin to confess. And so we are confessing our sins, and we would say, hey, Jason, come on, like, that's so hard, is it? Because if you go to a bar around, uh, I don't know, 11 p.m., there's a lot of people confessing sin. It happens, we do it, but we just don't like doing it here. Why? Because we would feel judged to do so when really what should happen here when we confess our sin is that we should feel loved to go and to be better and to be more like Jesus Christ. And so pray with trusted friends and ultimately pray with those that you have wronged or that have wronged 
you. That is how we pursue community and get stronger. It's one of our values here at Wellspring Church is that you and I are a community that pursues each other, pursues healthy relationships. You don't need to go to the bar to confess your sin. You should be able to come here and find brothers and sisters that you can confess sin with that will love you and not say, you suck and I'm going to make sure that you feel like you suck for the rest of your life. No. Be more like Jesus where there is no condemnation or shame because we love each other and he loves us enough to know everything we've done and will do and wants us anyway. Well, James concludes this section with this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently uh, that, he, that it might rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, fervent is not a word that we use. And so for you, I Googled it. Here's what fervent means, having or displaying a passionate, uh, uh, passionate intensity to be fervent. Shouldn't that describe our prayer lives? And that becomes the question is like, is, is does it? And so if you've ever studied the, this dude, Elijah, you should Google Elijah of the Bible. <laughs> this dude was fervent. It, this is a word that would describe him. He, he goes to the battlefield with a whole bunch of prophets. He's like, okay, here's the test. We're going to sacrifice. Uh, we're going to sacrifice to our gods. You can sacrifice your God. I'll sacrifice to my God. And well, whoever can call fire down from heaven, that's the winner. And everybody else is going to die. Okay. Well, guess what? Elijah won. Fire came down from heaven, and uh, he was able to do that. What he said about rain, he was able to cause droughts. He was able to bring rain. He was able to part rivers. He was able to help a widow with a miraculous supply of what she needed. He did things that literally bore fruit, and then he didn't die. (laughs) He was caught up in a chariot of fire. And James is saying that he has the same spirit of you and I. So everything that I just described is not foreign to you and I, or doesn't have to be foreign to you and I. The spirit that is in Elijah is in you and I, because it's the spirit of God. Elijah was a spirit-filled person, but guess what? He was sinful, he was inconsistent, he was imperfect, and yet he was, and yet he was forgiven and equipped. He was a person that struggled with anxiety. He is a case study on anxiety and fear and being drastic, but yet he continually goes to God before it all. And so somebody that has his own struggles in life, like you and I have struggles in life, but knows how to continually go to God, that is a person to consider praying with. James is clear in this section. When we pray, a guy like Elijah knows how to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no secret to prayer. God works in mysterious ways. God's the secret sauce, but he's no secret. He's there for us to to pray with. And so when I think about fervent, this past week, I took a a, a test, I guess it is, with my counselor, uh, actually a few weeks ago, but I got the results on Thursday. It was some test from Minnesota, and uh, it was like 500 questions. It was wildly obnoxious. Uh, And one of the uh, results uh, was that I scored off the charts, if you will, well, at, at being high strung. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand that. Uh, everybody tells, and like, you're laughing uh, because everybody tells me I'm high strung. But I'm like, I feel like my default uh, level is like tired. Like I walk around tired, but everybody tells me I'm high strung. Whatever. Okay. So I have a complex with that. Uh, and so let me tell you about why I might be high strung is because uh, about once every 10 days, I make a gallon 
of cold brew. Uh, and it's like wicked strong. And, and so here's, I just want to tell you how to make cold brew if you want to be high, strong, uh, and fervent. Uh, and so here's, here's my secret recipe. Uh, and our bassist, I can't name him because he gets mad at me, uh, but our bassist, the guy over there, uh, he, uh, he loves my cold brew and he can attest to it. Uh, so you put this little funnel down in it. And what I like to do is I like to do uh, Starbucks, uh, usually Sumatra, uh, and uh, dark, dark roast. And it's about 80%. You have to grind it uh, with that like coarse grind. Now, it can't be too fine because it will, it will leak through and that's not good. No one likes that. Uh, and so it's about 80% this. Uh, and then I really like the ho- uh, Highlander Grog uh, flavoring. Uh, and so about, uh, about another 20% is the Highlander Grog. And Amazon sends this to me uh, about every six months. Uh, and so thank you, uh, Amazon, on discount. And so you grind it up and, and you put it in here. And I usually like, I think you're supposed to like fill the cylinder to like here. Um, mine goes to like here. Uh, and so then, uh, and you're supposed to like let it sit overnight in your fridge for like 12 hours, 14 hours, 15 hours. Uh, and the longer you go, the, the stronger it gets. And so I always go the full 24 hours. Uh, and so it's always like wildly strong. Uh, and so it puts hair on your chest. I don't know if that's actually what anybody wants, but it puts hair on your chest. Um, and so that is, uh, that's how you make a, a great uh, cold brew. But here's like we, can, we can laugh about me being high-strung, right? But here's where I have an issue. I was reading uh, this book, a, a book, uh, Pray Like Monks in some other name. I forget what it is, but it's on the weekly rundown. And uh, this was said early on. And he says, one of the reasons we don't pray is because uh, we fear silence and that we're addicted to noise. And I thought about that for a second, and I had to sit and ponder and say, before God, honestly, he gave this example of sitting for six hours in prayer with no phone, with nothing else, and just doing absolutely nothing but just pray. Have your Bible, your physical Bible in a journal, and just pray to God. And I had to honestly say that that sounded like a nightmare. <laughs> and I had to sit back and say, like, that sounded like a complete waste of time. Why? Because I'm a cold brew Christian that likes to go to boom, 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 boom. And perhaps the best thing that I can do is from time to time, routinely, spend two days in silence, without noise, praying before my God. And so to be a cold brew Christian, let me give you uh, some suggestions. Uh, to pray continuously, and so that means in every circumstance, like James has said, in the highs and the lows of life, that our rhythms of life should be a consistent thing of prayer. It should be the heartbeat for us. We should become a prayer addicts. The second thing is that we should pray in every part of life, that prayer isn't meant to be a fire extinguisher just for when there is a fire, but we should be praying through, uh, through the highs and the lows of life, not exclusively in crisis, that we should be praying prayers of, of thanksgiving and joy and blessing. The second thing is that we don't have to pray, uh, we don't pray as a substitute to responsibility. We don't, we don't pray and say, hey, I don't need medicine. I don't need to go to the doctor. I prayed about it. No, God has given you wisdom. Pray yes first and then go and do something. Prayer, planning, and action go hand in hand. Pray now, not when you're sinless. He calls uh, Elijah a righteous person. You're like, oh man, I'm not a righteous person. I can't pray. Hogwash, my Nana would say. Uh, and so here's what you do. You are never going to be sinless here on earth. You will be seen as sinless before God, but you will never arrive to that state until you are in glory. And so pray. And let prayer be part of that routine in your life that 
allows you to confess your sin before God. Our big thought for today is simply this. Fervent Christians fervently pray. If you want to be a fervent Christian, prayer cannot be a foreign thing to you. A fervent Christian always is looking for a reason to pray. A fervent Christian has prayer as a defining mark. Let me, get, let me, let me close with, with this illustration because as I was reading this, I was like, man, I, I think Christ set for us such a good example of both individual and corporate prayer. And one of, the, one of the areas that I thought, man, really showed what it looks like to put this all on display and kind of like the good and the bad was that night that Jesus had that dinner with, with his disciples. He loved on Judas. He had that Passover meal that turned into a communion meal. And, uh, and then, he go, then they go to the garden. He kind of has a talk with them. And then he prays. You guys remember this scene. Here's, here's how the, the scene starts. He says, and he came out and went. Uh, and as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. So he's there with his closest friends, community. It was, it was their huddle of sorts. And the place he said to them, and he said, pray. He's asking them to pray. He's asking them to be together. He's asking them to be in prayer. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew. Uh, please don't break that. Um, <laughs> I will I will cry. Uh, and so, uh, where did I go? And pray that you may not fall into, enter into temptation. He withdrew from a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed. So he's asking his disciples to pray. And then he goes away. He goes a little further down and he himself goes to a place of pray, prayer. And what do you, if you guys know the scene, what do the disciples do? They go night, night. They don't, they don't pray together. They, they fall asleep. Imagine if you're closing hours of time with Jesus, you fell asleep on him. And what was Jesus doing in that moment while they should have been praying and they were sleeping? Here's what Jesus prayed. Here's the next line. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. The angels, why did the angels have to strengthen him? Because Jesus was asking, I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to be beat. I'm about to suffer, to know him in suffering. He's asking God, is there another way? Before I go through with this, before I endure all of this pain with joy for the people that I'm doing it for, is there another way? And the angels came to strengthen him. Why? Because God the Father said no. He answered with a no, but said, I'm going, I'm going to strengthen you in the midst of the suffering. So you want to be a fervently praying Christian? Here's one mark of a fervently praying Christian. You are going to experience highs. You are going to experience lows. But we go before the Father when we say, God, I'm putting my human request before you. But here's my attitude. Thy will be done. I trust that you will remove it or I trust that you're going to strengthen me through it. It's one or the other. And so I, I want to give you this challenge. I'm going to give you two challenges. And then, and then what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray over us and then we'll, we'll go into one last song of worship. Here's my two challenges. My challenges to you as an individual is right now you probably have a phone because it's 2023 and it probably has an alarm clock. I'm going to encourage you right now to take it out 
and set an alarm because if you go home and you try to do it then, you'll forget and you will not do it. Human nature a thousand times over. To set an alarm right now, 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m., 7, whatever it might be, that's going to force you into a habit of prayer to start your day. And if you want to be next level awesome at this challenge, go on Amazon right now and buy an actual alarm clock. <laughs> because this will also be an instant distraction. And so I'm challenging you to set an alarm, to set a habit of prayer. But then my second challenge to you all is uh, six months ago, we did not know this would be a part of what we were doing the day that we were preaching uh, this text. But I'm challenging you also to come to that night of worship and prayer tonight in Lakehurst at Proving Ground Church. Why? Because the body of Christ is bigger than Wellspring Church. And tonight we get to pray and worship with brothers and sisters all around Ocean County, praying for a move of God. Proving Ground Church, six o'clock in Lakehurst, New Jersey, right down the road. Let me pray and then we'll worship through song. God, I, uh, I thank you. Father, Elijah prayed big, bold prayers. He prayed in front of people and you brought fire down from heaven. Father, I'm praying for more life groups, more life group leaders, more people in life groups, childcare in our life groups. I'm praying it before our people with trust that your will be done. Father, I'm praying for 250 adults to be uh, actively involved in, in the life of our church on a Sunday or a Monday uh, by the end of the year. Lord, I'm praying your will be done. And Lord, I, I pray that our elders, I pray that our leaders, Lord, that we would, that we would be relationally engage with our body, the body of Christ that you have privileged us with. Father, would you help us to be there in the highs? Would you help us to be there in the lows? Father, would... Um, Father, would you continue to develop within our leadership a care to see people, that there would never be a person that leaves here wondering if they matter or if they are seen. But Father, no matter what you bring to our church, Father, as people leave the physical building, would they know that they matter to you because of how we have treated them? We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Would you guys stand and sing with me?